We're back in John. We're looking at the crucifixion. We are in John 19. What I'd like to, what I'd like to really look at here, when I was a boy, we had a lot of stories about the pain of Jesus. We had a lot of stories about the crucifixion and, and our part and our blame in it. And I understand the sins of all mankind. I, I get this. But maybe you grew up in one of these churches as well, where every time there would be a table here that they would then take the, the uh, bread and the cup to the people, and it was all done in front. Uh, the table might have said, this do in remembrance of me. That was a traditional thing. But the, the people behind there would always talk about what I call the whips and nails. They would always talk about the pain. It was a, it was a, you knew it was coming every single time. And there were some words you were to use. In other words, you were not allowed to use. You were, you were to say that the blood was shed. But if you ever said it was spilled, they'd climb all over you. Because spilled means an accident. And sheds on... It was just... There, we had an unofficial official liturgy that was done. And pain was always in, in it. But I want you to look at a, a phrase here. Uh, chapter 19, verse 16, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And by the way, by them, that has given people all kinds of fits. I think it just means he's going to let the Jews get what they want, but he's handing it to Romans because Jews did not do this. But so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, with, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Do you notice what is missing? What is missing is what we focus on in the movies, and that is every single step of pain. Now, the other Gospels, to be honest, they will bring up some of this, but it's all said so matter-of-factly. I believe there are two reasons for this, and without descriptions. Two reasons. One, crucifixion was so common in the first century, you didn't need to describe it. It was, you understood what it was. But I think the other one is, the scripture is not as focused on the pain of the cross as it is on the reality of the resurrection. That's where we are to focus. And there, there, is, there have been several movements, and they just haven't really caught on, to not have the symbol of Christianity be a cross, but rather the open tomb. And so um, I, a good friend of mine has even tried to, uh, and I, I, think, I think he still does, sell T-shirts that have a, a dark circle, and then there's a, a light circle kind of coming out of it like a stone's being rolled away, and that, and the T-shirts have that as a symbol of our Christian faith. You know, I think the cross is very embedded, and I don't know that we're going to move it. I don't know that it should be moved. Protestants changed the cross in one way. They took Jesus off it. The uh, Catholics have a crucifix has a Jesus on it. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't want to give a wrong impression. Not every cross that a Catholic church has has Jesus on it. They have crosses and crucifixes. Protestants tended to make sure he, we never put him on it because we're showing that the cross is empty and so is the grave. You see, that was part of um, 
Luther had a bit to do with that, but Calvin had a lot to do with that. Uh, the symbol of our faith, I wish it was just the heart, but the Valentine heart, not the actual heart, which is rather ugly looking, although very well designed. I just, I, I want you to notice this. Jesus wasn't trying to drag you through guilt to get to the open tomb. Now, there was a movie made by Mel Gibson years ago, The Passion of the Christ. Whole churches rented, whole churches, churches rented whole theaters so that everybody would go in and watch it. I am not against the movie in any way, shape, or form. Please understand this. However, I went to see it once. I know of people that saw it four and five times, and frankly, I was concerned about them because it was kind of a torture fest all the way through. And if you haven't seen it yet, this isn't a spoiler alert because you're Christians. The resurrection scene lasts just a few seconds at the end. And I'm going, well, um, I don't think our message was balanced here. Was it a good movie? Yes. Did it need to be made? I think so. Uh, and again, you're, you're listening to a man that doesn't make movies. What, he, what I do is I look at themes and metaphors, and I'm going, I would like for there to be a passion of the Christ too. Because the passion, he was, Mel Gibson was using the word passion in its medieval sense. In the medieval terms, passion was dying. And so they, that the whole emotional thing wrapped around death. That's not what it means to us today. I would rather see a movie about the passion of Christ showing him loving people and accepting people and at the table with people as we looked at. When you read it, next time you do this, I want you as you go through the Gospels to notice how little time is spent on the pain and how much time is spent on resurrection. And most of us never catch that. And I think it's because somewhere in our psyche, some believe it's a Protestant and Catholic and Jewish thing, uh, in other words, a religious thing, we use guilt and shame as a, as a motivator. I would submit to you that shame is one of the worst powers on the planet, and it does not produce good fruit. Jesus used love, and that's where we should go. That said, I just wanted you to notice how it's just kind of, that, boom. And Pilate, we already brought this up, that he put um, the king of the Jews. The soldiers then, they, they go over, uh, rather they, they gamble for his clothes. He takes care of his mama in verses 25 through 27. Uh, and then let's go to 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I've, and again, I find that juxtaposition very interesting. I know other people don't read like I, I read, and you may get frustrated with me always stopping. Knowing everything had been finished and scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Is he asking to drink to prolong his life or save his life? No. They're saying, now this was a point of comfort. This was just, he's, he's having a hard time up there. Uh, and again, that should pull at our heartstrings. Jesus never did anything that would save his life or give him a better shot at survival. And that's why that phrase is putting there. He knows he's on the path to death. And that's where he's supposed to be. 
a jar of wine vinegar was there. Uh, anybody know what vinegar, in the English, um, what its etymology is? What words were used to put together to make vinegar? Uh, think of vin, V-I-N, the French word for wine. And igar means bitter. So it's bitter wine. And if there's, you can follow the history behind that all you want. Why is that there? Well, they used that for several things. They used it for cleaning blood off of things. They used it um, as a primitive form of anesthesia because it did have some alcohol in it. But it would also to wash it like uh, um, Listerine has alcohol in it. Don't get excited. It doesn't taste that good. Um, but we use that to wash out. Uh, you know, your, uh, your dentist used to put stuff like that in your mouth. Aren't you glad they, they now use a suction instead of those stupid little bowls when they said, you know, spit and your face is numb. You go, and it goes everywhere in the room. They would do this mainly to clean people up. But the, here, they soaked a sponge in it, put this, uh, the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Uh, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. There was another incident in the other Gospels where he tastes what it is and he refuses it. That's because what he was tasting then was painkiller. And he needed to be compass mentis. It, it's not against um, taking meds for pain. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I got to tell you, I get a, a bit upset at the way we handle some things medically. We are terrified of pain pills because some people misuse them. So we want to, uh, we have government bureaucrats telling doctors how often they can give pain pills to patients. That concerns me because I think the doctors went to school for this. It is true, uh, well, I don't know this. People tell me it is true that pharmaceutical companies flooded the system with them. I don't, I don't know. And I do know this for a fact because of my friends in law enforcement. The Chinese have been, uh, maybe cartels, maybe government, have been flooding America with fentanyl, which is, people, you do not want to touch fentanyl. I'm serious. Now, if you, oxycodone, you need a Vicodin or something because you hurt your back, fine. I could put in a teaspoon enough fentanyl to kill most people in Williamson County. It is that awful. It's that powerful. But, so what do we do? We decide pro prohibition. How does prohibition work? It doesn't. You know, somehow we got to find another way to do this. Cammy and I just did our advanced directives because we, want, we don't want to die like we've seen some of our friends die, where they're fighting it so long that they've, they've bankrupted the family. They've, you know, we, we don't want to do that. If, you, if your decision is to do that, we're not knocking you because that, that's your decision. It's personal. And on there, I was saying, there are all these questions. Do you want to be still fed? And I went, no. Do you want hydration? And I went, no, because dehydration does not hurt at that stage of life. And then it said pain. I wanted to circle it in red. Yes, yes, yes. We, uh, I want pain uh, to be sorted out at that stage. Make your decisions on this. But Jesus knew that the pain thing they were giving him on the other end would have it was, it was a, kind of a narcotic, and he needed to be able to speak. He wanted to die with a clear head. 
Um, and our sister Kim did so, which just is an amazing thing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to be too emotional, but it's going to be an emotional week. Now he gets it so he can speak. Uh, and that's really what it was. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. That's what he wanted to say. That phrase, it is finished, is a very interesting phrase. It does exist a few times in the ancient literature and seems to be kind of like, um, was his name Todd Beeman, uh, the hero of the flight that crashed? It wasn't correct. Thank you. When he said, let's roll. It's that, that thing of, uh, how else can I say it? You know, it's finished. Let's roll. We're ready. It is a purposeful launch of his soul away from his body. They say, let's go. Got to die? Let's do it now. Kind of like Chesty Puller asked his Marines when they were trapped and surrounded in, um, in Korea, and they chose to attack. I won't say everything he said because the, some of you are tender. But the last bit of the, and some of you know the phrase, but the last bit of the phrase was, do you want to live forever? You know, and the idea was nobody wants to live forever. Let's go. By the way, they won. Simplify. Um, yes, sir. <clears throat> It's an excellent question, and, and I'm going to rephrase, and you can tell me if I get it correct. He, being crucified and going to die, that, that fulfills the scripture. So he could just die. Is there any significance that he, he lingered somewhat, and, and there at the end got the hyssop in his mouth so he could say, it is finished. Is that, is that where we're going? I'm going to tell you my take on it is, yes, that there is. Had he died magically without pain or way, 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 way quick, we could look at Jesus and say, you don't know. You don't understand what we go through. But he died a natural death. Now, he did die quicker than people normally died on a cross. There may be a couple of reasons for this. Um, most people were tied on a cross and their wounds weren't the traditional crucifixion wounds. Others were nailed, but then tied on so that they did not slip off. Frankly, your body is a, a bag of fluid, and, and so you don't slip off. We don't know if Jesus was tied and nailed. We don't know all of this, but for some reason, Jesus died faster than most people did. Do you remember they came around to break the legs? Why would they break the legs? Because on crucifixion, you can't breathe unless you pull yourself up because they lean you forward, and you're on your feet and on your hands. And so to, to breathe, you have to pull yourself up on your wounds. And it was, it was supposed to be cruel. Romans were very cruel people and claimed to be civilized. Um, so there you are. Uh, if your legs are breaking, you can't push yourself up anymore. And so you suffocate. The cause of death for most people uh, on a cross was... Uh, Extenuation, they, they bled to death, or 
they suffocated because they could no longer pull themselves up on the wounds. Jesus died before they had to break. And the reason they broke the legs is because the Jews didn't want people to be hung up there over Sabbath. And again, what? You're killing a man, but you're saying, well, we still have to go to church. What? And let's not be anti-Jew here. That's human. Humans do stuff like this all the time. And it's just stunning. He, with this, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I do wonder in verse 30. Yes, where are we? Yes, hey. Yes. All right, let's talk about that. Um, Albert, I'm glad you're in the room. The, the question was, the spirit he gave up was that human spirit. I'm going to say something, and I'm going to allow Albert to correct me if I'm wrong and to add to it, okay? And don't be afraid to correct me if I'm wrong, Albert, all right? Um, I'm a science guy. You're a theology guy. Let's stay in our lanes. The Bible uh, and language is not incredibly consistent, but soul very often refers to the life essence of anything from an animal to a, um, a human. Let me sure I'm getting this right. And spirit refers to that thing which lives on. Is that, am I correct, Albert? Okay. So, and, and for example, in the um, book of Ecclesiastes, it'll talk about the soul dies just like the soul of an animal dies. And there are some that think that get confused, and they think it's talking about your spirit, that thing of you which lives forever. I believe here that God, and again, Albert, I want you to, to help me or correct me here, and by correcting me, you would be helping me. Um, I believe there's some intentionality in this. Maybe God gave him the power to decide when his spirit left, and says he gave it up at this stage. What, what would be your take on this? Oh, that's a good point. That's an excellent point. Thank you. You're very, thank you. And um, we really need to rig a microphone. Uh, the first bet, uh, he made an excellent point, which I had failed to make. In fact, it never came to my mind, frankly, uh, to be honest. And that is Jesus was in a lot worse shape than most crucified people were when he got to the cross because of the scourge, the lack of food, the lack of sleep, the beating and such. So thank you. And the second point was a little complex, and I'm not sure I can repeat it, uh, but it's uh, the soul and the spirit. The soul is what I would call the life essence of living creatures. The spirit is that thing which lives forever in a human. So you, your hand was still up. Yeah. Uh, we all have the human spirit. 
Uh, yes, any human is created. In, yes, it does. Yes, sir. I, I would say that, yes. Yes. Go for it. Those of you that are listening online, this is fascinating, but I, I'm not going to repeat, and you're just going to have to move to Franklin. All right, go, Albert. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. I believe, in fact, the Bible talks about in Revelation that those who were saved had his mark upon them. Uh, the Holy Spirit recognizes us. We have, a, we have enough in common with the Holy Spirit. Now, Randy, where I thought you were headed, and we probably need to, to mention this at least, the search for the soul is what it's often called, although that's not what it is. Scientists don't know the difference between soul and spirit, and so they misuse the names constantly. So backing that up, um, we'll come at it again. It has now become more of a search for where does consciousness reside. Uh, we're, we're really good at mapping the brain. There are some parts of the brain that we still don't know what they do. There's this little uh, net lace-like thing that comes around where your ears are inside the skull. It's an exceptionally thin membrane, and it is exceptionally complex. And we still don't know what that does. But scientists are, are hard at work for a physical reason for consciousness. The, the human consciousness, however, has some interesting differences from the consciousness of animals. And you may not want me to use the word conscious for animals. Uh, your goldfish does not have a conscience. But your dog might. It's a matter of being self-aware. Uh, there are some other things that are attached there. But human consciousness, where does it reside? I, I don't believe there is a physical cell answer for this. I believe it is a spiritual issue. But that's not going to satisfy the scientists. And so they argue about the consciousness. Uh, and, the, and of course, they, Ed, Edward O. Wilson, uh, who's an amazing writer, uh, complete atheist, but amazing writer, uh, there are others that work so hard trying to find a physiological place 
for this. Um, and I thought you were headed that direction. We are, as David said, uh, very amazingly made. And in the back, look at this. You saved all of your comments for today. Great. Hey, Doug. By the way, Doug, we need to get on the golf course soon. So. All right, good. The rodeo's over. Do my studies confirm? The answer to that would be no, because I'm not really sure I've looked at that. Do you know, Albert, were Romans? That is correct. Okay. I, yeah, Paul used that Roman citizen card several times. So Albert says that Roman citizens were not allowed to be Christians. Yeah, I, I read a lot of Bart Ehrman, and he's, he was um, a, 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 a staunch Baptist who's now, an, uh, he calls himself a happy agnostic. Um, but again, yes, and some, you can learn a lot from them. By the way, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about an article in an atheist magazine called Skeptical Inquirer on the nature of the real crisis in America right now of people denying science and denying absolute, the ability to know truth. If you don't know the background, there are professors that are saying, for example, that mathematics is racist because it claims, here's an answer, uh, that physics is white supremacy and white privilege. It's, it's gotten ridiculous. I wrote the editor of Skeptical Inquirer and told him, I am a pastor and here's my church. I have, I've told them about the article. I think it's a great article. Would you allow me to give them copies? I got one of the nicest letters back saying, absolutely, and we appreciate this, and thank you for your letter, and be free to do so. So this week, I'm going to make copies of that and have them available for you next Sunday. But again, written by an atheist, however, it's truth about dealing with truth. It really, and what sparked this was Pilate saying, what is truth? Well, that's what postmodernism's all about, saying there is no truth. We're going, uh, try that when the police pull you over. You know, you're going 65 and a 45. You know, numbers are a construct. Um, and try that. Get back to me. After 2 to 10. Um, now was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilots to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The, the crassness. Would that have been a high Sabbath? Uh, yeah, it would have had to have been a high Sabbath. It was, it was a special one. Right, okay, I, I got you there. Um, and by the way, Albert, I wouldn't mind at all if you thought, you know, Patrick hasn't really talked about the Jewish aspect of and you just get in touch with me during the week, and we'll, we'll set a microphone up. You know, um, we, um, we've got you here, so uh, we, we don't want that wisdom to stay inside that skull. So, all right? Um, I am, this is not my territory. I share it with any. The, um, okay, the callousness of this. 
The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found he was already dead, and they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. I find that a fascinating thing. Do you remember back when Hollywood made religious movies because they believed? They, they, there were great Bible dramas that, that supported. And, you know, The Robe was one of them. And, you know, they did a few different versions of that centurion believing in Jesus and the rest of his life. And the rest of his life was a complete made-up fiction, but it was still, they were, they were interesting stories. The, um, you were Ben-Hur. I mean, some of those were just amazing. The man who saw it, now I don't know that that's the man who did it, but the man who saw it must have been wrapped around the people of faith then because John knew him. He's given testimony, and his testimony is true. John was standing close by, if you remember. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies also that you may believe. So he's referring to somebody that the early church knew who was there, and now there are people that say he's very elliptically talking about himself here. I think that's a little bit of a reach. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Uh, I've had people say, how could bones not be broken? And uh, with all that he went through, uh, the, the Romans knew how to do this. And others say, if you put a big enough nail to hold a guy through a hand, uh, it's going to break a couple of the metatarsals and then eventually it'll pull out. And I'm going, a couple things. One, they did tie them to the crosses uh, normally, but also to the Jews, this is a hand as well. There's a hollow right there. And that's where uh, they were held. So, again, not a bone was broken. Another scripture says, they will look upon the one they have pierced. I, I want to share with you something now which I have no way to confirm. When I do that, I like to state that so that you throw red flags into the air. Josh McDowell has written several books on why we believe in scripture. And I, I, I've enjoyed the books. He quotes a mathematician who looks at the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and what are the odds that they would come, that they would just happen to be fulfilled by accident. In other words, this wasn't God at work. This just, you know, it happened. And the mathematician, a Dr. Stoner, uh, said it would be the same as if you covered the state of Texas with um, silver dollars to the depth of one foot. So that's a lot of silver dollars. If you've never been to Texas, it's big. You start in East Texas and you drive to L.A., when you exit Texas, you're only halfway. I mean, it's just, it's, it's huge. We had, oh, i got to tell you real quick, then I'll come back. We had Scottish friends that were coming over to report to different churches, and um, they were, you know, I said, now, you're going to be in Dallas, and then you're coming up here. Um, you're going to catch a flight where? And they go, oh, no, we're going to drive. I went, that's a long way. Well, you know, we, we, we've seen it. We've got it sorted. Oh, when they got to us, they're going, Texas? No, yes. 
Yes. You, you remember, Scotland is like 40 miles from Glasgow to Edinburgh in that narrow bit. And the northern bit, it's, it's 200 by the windy roads. And so they had no concept. Uh, there was an American comedian that made his life in Britain. And the only, he said the only bit he did that absolutely failed was he had this whole routine based upon what a long-distance tr trucker goes through. And he would tell it, and everybody just looking and going, they got nothing, because they, they had no point of... But anyway, he said, if you cover Texas to the depth of a foot with silver dollars and set loose a blind man at random, and the first time he bends down to pick up a coin, he picks the one that is marked. So that's a lot of... That's, that's an amazing odds. A lot of prophecies. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, let me tell you about, uh, something which is not quite history, but there's enough echo in history, it might be. Joseph of Arimathea was probably wealthy because he was a sea trader. The early, early in Christianity, it is spoken of that he sailed ships to what we would now call England and back to collect tin from the Cornish wine, uh, uh, rather mines there. That's the southwestern part of England. And um, he, he traded back and forth. And in fact, one of the early stories in Christianity is that when Jesus was a boy, he went with him. That Joseph of Arimathea was a friend. There are hymns in England that speak about and did those feet walk on our green soil. And it's that deep in, in British uh, consciousness, perhaps I should say, or culture. Uh, so it may be myth, but it's, it seems to have more to it than myth and not enough to be called history. But Joseph of Arimathea was a sea trader. That pretty much, I can call that history. He asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Okay. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. I imagine at this time, Pilate's just one. It's just anything to get this out of his life. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Well, that's good to see him back. He, uh, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. That's a lot. Why? To preserve the body. Now that's the, to preserve the body, to keep it from stinking. Some people say it's more of an act of preservation and love. You know, in the, the west of Ireland, when somebody dies, in the, in the small villages now, not in a town like Cork, but in the west of Ireland, when somebody dies, it is still traditional for the women to, uh, they bring out the kitchen table. If you don't know that, you don't, the dining table is not always set up. And when you do set it up, you have to set it up in the living room, which is called the lounge, because there's nothing else big enough, no other room big enough. So they, they set it up there, and they strip the corpse, and they put it on that table, and they wash it. And then they dress it, except for the shoes, that's... Um, they don't do the shoes. Uh, there'll be a little covering over there, but they tie the toes together, the big toes together, so that the fairies can't walk off, you know, the, the corpse. And I know that sounds silly, but they've not lost a corpse yet, so, you know, I, I, it must be working. Uh, and then they bring in the community, and the community 
crowds in the lounge. And if you've never been out of this country, you don't know how many people you can get in one room. And I mean, the, the heat and the lack of deodorant becomes obvious pretty fast. The windows fog up and uh, <laughs> I could go on. Uh, and and they're, they're drinking, having a good time. And then when they're done, uh, you know, outside you'll hear and, and the hammers, they're building the coffin. And then they put him in, and then they walk him down, and you, you know the guys get too drunk, they drop the coffin a couple times. It's a, you, everybody needs to go to an Irish funeral sometime, uh, and not as the guest of honor, but actually to, to get to see what goes on there. Um, it is, everybody has their own culture. The Jews had their own culture as well. But 75 pounds, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Albert, that was a lot to do. The poor people wouldn't do anything. You, you got what you remember myrrh was one of the gifts at the at the birth well when they got there uh, which should have been a bit later <laughs> always every year somebody tells me you know if, if the wise men had been wise women they would have brought more practical gifts <laughs> i'm going no really this is good stuff um about taking jesus's body the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen this was a very labor intensive uh, job, but it was also done from the heart. It was done because of love. This was accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We, we know in other accounts that Joseph actually owned that. It was, you know, but here it just says it was close by and they didn't have time to transport. So get him in, get it. Now, those of you that don't know this, um, <clears throat> not sure when the cutoff is, but for Muslims and Jews, even today, you're to be buried within a 24-hour thing. Um, and again, I'm not sure the cutoff. You know, if you died at 6 in the evening, they're not going to get you in by sunset, but they, they tend to try to get you in by sunset. Um, there, there are different Jewish communities, there are different Muslim communities, but they, they all believe in getting them into the ground very quickly. Um, we don't tend to do that. We're, we have different traditions. Um, it's five minutes till the end of class. I don't want to go in too much to the next bit. It's not a spoiler alert. We all know what happens, but uh, any other questions or comments we've got from this very erudite and questioning crowd? Yes, Randy. Was it not a custom of some Jewish sects? I, I can't say those words either. I, so I'm not going to criticize you, brother. Uh, yeah, the ossuary. And, and we. The ossuary only exists for those that were buried above ground. And that normally was uh, the more prominent well to do people had that. And the ossuary, uh, we talked about ossuary last week, I think, maybe the, the week before. 
um, that uh, there has been one found with the name Caiaphas on it, the family of Caiaphas, the high priest. And I thought, well, we've got his bones. We don't have Jesus's. I believe that they put so much of these myrrh and aloes on him to give him his place on that shelf the longest possible. And they don't have to break the bones. They, they actually are disconnected when the flesh rots away. Uh, and the reason they do that is so that the family, this is a family thing. And so we're still, you know, we need another, another shelf. It's kind of like unions, first in, you know, last out or something. But they, uh, there comes a time where you lose your place on the shelf. I think they were delaying that for Jesus as absolutely as long as possible. His family would not have had an ossuary, and as it turns out, there was no need for one for Jesus. Um, his family would have been, uh, and I'm going to back away from that a little bit. They were very poor when he was born. They seem to have been better off later, but I'm not sure where they were when Jesus died. Um, is there any way you want to straight, straighten me up on anything on that, Alfred? And by the way, don't be shy. You know, if, you, if, you, if he says, no, Patrick's an idiot, that, that's, that's still something we could, we could all learn. So, oh, okay. Not to, he's not going to do that today. <laughs> oh, see, see. All right. Uh, I'm going to use his silence as complete acquiescence. And those of you that don't know what acquiescence are can look it up. Um, it is, according to the dictionary, it's a, it is the state of acquiescing. Don't you hate dictionaries? They're completely useless. Anyway, yes. I have no idea. Do you? Oh. Right, and, and, and we know that Jesus knew his body wasn't going to stay dead, but for the average Jewish person, well, we know that Joseph of Arimathea would have pre-purchased a, a burial cave, but I don't know about the average person. If there were pre, if you think, uh, uh, like funeral arrangements that you rearranged, do you know anything about that, Albert? I've not seen anything about that. Yeah, I think royalty has a different set of rules. It's rather like in America, um, this is true in Britain as well, and probably true elsewhere. They've already written the obituaries for most of the people you know that are starring in movies or in politics. Because when they die, it's too late to run, get it, for breaking news. And they have people whose job it is to update the obituaries on living people. So that when they die, they're able to come to you and say, this is the history of the person that just died. So uh, I, I, I met one person once who that's what their job was at a, at a local paper. It wasn't a big paper. And I thought, hmm. What do you have on me? And they had nothing because I wasn't pro. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's kind of like, well, you know, we may not even mention him. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, I see. Yes. Yes. I see what you're saying. He's saying it seems to be wrapped in formality, 30 to 35. Found that he was 
Yes. Well, oh, it may have been a magistrate, or it may have been that they gathered others at the cross who believed, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, uh, John the apostle, and the guy that stabbed him, or that's what we assume. Could be a false assumption. But he's saying, uh, it seems like we're making it the point that we went through all of this, checked all the history out, and this is true. That's an interesting thing. Let me think about that for a week. Let me see what I can find on that. I will tell you this, biologically, I've heard, uh, growing up, I was told, when you die, the blood and water mix, and that's how the, no, no, no. Most people, when you die, and then you stab them, nothing comes out, uh, because blood ceases, uh, and it does not move. The only way I know of for blood and water to come out after death is two. One, some drowning victims, their lungs have basically exploded. The, um, but the other is the rupture of the heart, if the heart wall is torn. Therefore, you could say Jesus died of a broken heart. And, and you would be correct if we look at the evidence. So think on it. Uh, I almost let you lose five minutes early. Then you started talking. It's late now. That's all 